Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that the word that you have sent out from your mouth will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish that which you purpose. It will succeed in the thing for which you sent it. And so we pray that your word would be planted deeply in the soil of our hearts this morning. And may it spring up, may it bear good fruit in our lives, 30, 60, even a hundredfold. And may it be all to your glory. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll please open your Bibles to our sermon text. We're looking again this morning at Jonah chapter 1, page 774 in the Pew Bibles. We looked at verses 1 through 3 last time, so this morning we'll look at the rest of the chapter, verse 4 forward, but we will uh, read the entire chapter. So Jonah, chapter 1. Here now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But... The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. 
So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Last week we began our study of the book of Jonah, seeing how this is a book about sin and grace. Jonah is running from God, not because he is afraid to go and preach in that great and wicked city of Nineveh, but because he is afraid he will be successful and God will have mercy on them. He hates those Ninevites and he doesn't want God to show them grace. He doesn't realize that he needs the grace of God just as much and that as he rebels against God, he shows how much he also deserves God's judgment. As we saw last time, we are like Jonah. We too run from God. We try to hide from him. This morning, we see the good news of how God runs after us, just like he here pursues Jonah, and how he even used Jonah, this disobedient prophet, to pursue after and save these pagan sailors on the ship. The Lord doesn't give up on his people, even when we stray, even when we run, even when we try to hide from him. Oh, see, this passage is full of many lessons for us. They center around this theme of how the Lord works in so many ways to bring us back to our senses, to show us our sin, to call us back to himself. So the message this morning will be under two headings. First, the Lord pursues Jonah. And second, the Lord pursues these pagan sailors. In all this, the point for you today is to see how the Lord is working to pursue after you when you are running away from him. So first, the Lord pursues Jonah. The Lord had commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh in the east, but he fled in the opposite direction towards Tarshish in the far west. But more than running away from Nineveh, Jonah really was trying in vain to flee from the presence of the Lord. His running is also depicted in the text. I don't know if you noticed it. It's depicted as a downward descent. He goes down to Joppa, down into, down into the ship, and then down into the inner part of the ship. Now going down, 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 it doesn't mean that he can escape from the Lord. But in the scriptures, you always go up to Jerusalem. You go up to the temple. You go up to worship the Lord who reigns on high. Now we see that the Lord pursues Jonah in three steps. First, the Lord pursues Jonah with this storm. Verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea that, so that the ship threatened to break up. This storm, it immediately reveals that Jonah's attempt to flee from the Lord, it is completely and utterly futile. These hardened sailors, they had certainly been through many a storm on the sea before. But seeing the suddenness and the severity of this storm, the sailors rightly understand its divine origin. And they begin calling out each one to his own God. They jettison all the cargo, which basically means that they are giving up Everything they had with the hope of merely escaping with their lives. The voyage will be a complete financial loss. 
the storm. It's a picture of the fact that our sin produces storms in our lives. And the Lord uses these storms to show us our need to repent, our need to return to him. But does Jonah get the message? Look at him. He doesn't even realize the storm is going on because not only is he below decks, but he is fast asleep. It's almost inexplicable how he could possibly sleep through a storm like this. But the word used here, it's not even the usual Hebrew term for sleep. It's not like what's used in Psalm 4.8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. No, rather this is a deep sleep. It's almost like a state of being not unconscious. It's the word used to describe when God put Adam into a deep sleep to remove his rib and make Eve. So what's going on here? Uh, maybe Jonah just thinks he's escaped, and so he's simply at peace. He's not realizing how grave of danger he's in. But I think what this is really depicting is that in his running from God, in his seeking to hide, Jonah has fallen into a deep depression. He has fled into sleep in this depression. Jonah is seeking to shut the world out. Most of all, he is seeking to shut God out. He simply wants the lights to go out. Perhaps you know this sort of feeling. Just wanting to get away from the problems of life, get away from the sense that everything is going wrong, that life is falling apart. And so perhaps you flee from God in sleep. You flee from everything in TV and video games and sports. There's all sorts of distractions that you can flee into. If that's not enough, the next step is often to abuse alcohol, to abuse drugs. They dull the conscience they simply drown everything out to make everything go away. And so the question, are you like Jonah, trying to shut out the pangs of conscience? Are you trying to drown out God's word? Are you trying to block out all the signs that you are headed in the wrong direction? That's what Jonah has done. He has fled into the sleep of sorrow. He has numbed himself. Even as the Lord is pursuing after him, he doesn't even notice the storm raging around him. The second, the Lord pursues Jonah through the pagan sailors. And the captain, perhaps he was going down into the holds to clear out any remaining cargo to lighten the ship. When he comes across the slumbering Jonah... And he's taken aback at the sight. It seems he has to shake the prophet awake. And he says to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And the captain can't believe that Jonah could sleep at such a time as this. That Jonah awakening to these words, Arise, call out. He must have thought he was having a nightmare because these words echo the Lord's commission to him. Arise, go to Nineveh, call out against it. It's always a bit dangerous to make an argument from silence, but here I think the silence speaks volumes. The captain orders Jonah to cry out to his God, and there's no indication he does so. It's silent about him calling out. In fact, I think it's almost certain he did not because the whole point of Jonah's voyage was to flee from the face of God. The very last thing he wanted to do was pray. But here again, we see the Lord is pursuing after Jonah through the captive. 
Jonah's running from the Lord. The captain commands him, return to your Lord, speak to him, pray to him, call out to him. Jonah refuses to do so. And to apply this, here's a picture of the world rebuking a straying believer, of the world calling out to the sleeping church, wake up. Have you ever lost sight of what your calling in this world is? Gotten so off track that even a non-believer could call you out? Since Jonah still doesn't respond, we then see that third, the Lord pursues Jonah by revealing his sin. As the storm continues to rage, the sailors decide to cast lots to determine, to determine who is responsible for this disaster. So we also reveal whose God is behind the storm. Now, casting lots was a common method of divination in the ancient world. And while we are not we are not to use this to divine God's will today. We are to obey his word. And when that doesn't decide an issue, we are to pray for him to grant us wisdom. Here we see that God, who is sovereign over all things, in his providence, in his providence he decides to use this means to reveal Jonah's sin. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And it was immediately clear to all especially to Jonah, that the storm was sent because of him. Not everyone knew exactly what Jonah had done, but you can imagine that Jonah felt immediately as if he was standing there naked. He was found out. He had tried to run and to hide, but he could not escape from the Lord. Now the question is, was Jonah ready to repent? When the Lord exposes your sin, when you are found out, how will you respond? Now, all the ways that the Lord had pursued Jonah, the storm, the sailors, the exposure, these are severe mercies. And yet they are mercies nevertheless. They are targeted to keep him from going down the road to destruction. When the Lord works in your life in similar ways, throwing up roadblocks, causing your sin to blow up in your face, ultimately exposing it to the world. All this is part of the Lord's fatherly discipline, working in love that you might turn from your straying and return to your father. Do you thank him for his love? Will you return to him and say, thank you, Father, for not letting me go one step further down that destructive road. Now, as the Lord is pursuing Jonah, he's also working through all this to pursue the pagan sailors. That's part two this morning. Now, Jonah was refusing to, he's running from preaching in Nineveh. I bet he never anticipated that the Lord would use him now to preach to and to show the Lord's mercy to these sailors. The storm sent after Jonah, and these sailors, they're caught up in it. I'm sure you're familiar with this phenomenon. You get caught up in the consequences of someone else's sin. You may resent that, but here we see how the Lord can use even this for his good purposes for these sailors. 
as the sailors begin to cry out to their gods, we see that even though they do not know the true God, God has been preparing them through his general revelation. As Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork, and God has revealed himself to all in his creation. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 1, for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And so God shows himself to all in his creation. And so as we just look at these men, we can take account of what these men do know, even though they do not know the true God. These men know that there is a God. They knew that he was powerful. As they look at the storm raging around them, they discerned that he was angry. They knew that he needed his help. They knew that they could call out to him. But they didn't know the true God. They didn't know who to call out to. They're calling out to their false gods in vain. And that's where Jonah, the prophet of the Lord, steps in. They needed him to reveal certain truths about God to them. And so next we see how the Lord pursues them through Jonah's confession. And in this confession, the Lord reveals himself to these men. And so when it's revealed that the storm is after Jonah, the sailors begin to bombard him with questions, verse 8. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now Jonah's answer here, it sounds a bit like he is reciting his catechism. But he's never stopped to ask himself if he actually believes if these things are true, if he actually believes them for himself. Let me explain. First thing he says is, I'm a Hebrew, and that's, of course, true. That's his ethnicity. There's no denying that. But it's significant that this is the last question they asked, but he answers it first. Because this is the first thing in Jonah's identity. This is what he is most proud of. It seems that being a Hebrew is more central to Jonah than worshiping the Lord, his religion. And this makes sense because he thinks he deserves God's grace and those who are not Hebrews do not. It's only after this that he says, I fear the Lord. And you can see in your Bibles that this is the Lord, small caps. It's referring uniquely to Yahweh, using the covenant name of God, which he had revealed to Israel. Now Jonah makes this great pronouncement I fear the Lord. But he has shown by fleeing that he doesn't actually fear the Lord. He's saying the words, but he has revealed by his actions that these, this is not actually true for him. Then he describes the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. What a beautiful orthodox statement. And yet if Jonah believed that the Lord created the whole earth and rules over all things from heaven above, it would make absolutely no sense to try to flee from his presence. 
And here's the challenge for you today. Perhaps like Jonah, you know all the right answers if someone asks you these sorts of questions. What are you? You say, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. Someone asks you, what's the gospel? And you say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Trust in him to receive forgiveness and eternal life. Someone asks you, what is justification? What is sanctification? What is faith and repentance? And you can give good catechism answers to all the questions. The challenge is, do you believe them in your heart? Is it reflected in your life? Now here's the amazing thing. Even though Jonah was not living this out, even though he clearly did not actually fear the Lord at this time, the Lord used his testimony. The Lord can work through a very flawed instrument because the men take this confession to heart. They believe what he says. And all of Jonah's speech is not recorded for us because we're told that he also tells the sailors that he was fleeing from this almighty God who had created the heavens and the earth. And what do they think of that? Verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? Basically, what are you, crazy? Jonah doesn't fear the Lord, but these men, they've never seen a storm like this. They fear for their lives. They recognize their danger. And so immediately upon hearing Jonah's story, they are exceedingly afraid. They may have never heard of the Lord before, but they believe what they say. They are afraid. Their fear, their exclamation is one more wake-up call to Jonah. Now it's time for solutions. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Now Jonah's solution is, Pick me up, throw me into the storm-tossed sea, which by all appearances is a death sentence. Outside of the ship, far from the shore, by all human logic, there was no way that Jonah could survive. Now, Jonah's right in that the death is what he deserves. Death is what every sin deserves. But also what he'd realized is that if he stays on the ship, the storm would continue, the whole ship would sink, then he would die with all the sailors. So either way, he is doomed. But if he was thrown overboard... The others could be saved. And so we see a certain courage here, a certain willingness to sacrifice, a willingness to die so that others don't have to. At the same time, we do need to question Jonah and his motives here because being thrown in is his solution. He didn't receive a word from the Lord here. He was willing to die for a sin, perhaps even we could say willing to die for others. But in dying, Jonah was still, in a sense, getting his way because he still didn't have to go to Nineveh to preach. That's what he wanted to avoid most of all. He was willing to die, but he still was not yet willing to live for God. We see later in the book that the Lord's wrath against Nineveh is appeased by a simple show of repentance. Now, Jonah is not satisfied by this, but the Lord shows mercy. And it does make you wonder if it was really necessary 
for Jonah to be thrown overboard, or if this, even this, was one more attempt to flee from the Lord. Because if he truly repented there on the deck of the ship, if he said to the Lord, I give in, I will go to Nineveh, I wonder if the storm would have stopped right then and there, and Jonah would have never entered the water. Because we know that's what the Lord wants from us, obedience. As the prophet Samuel said to King Saul when he disobeyed the Lord's command, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fact of rams, 1 Samuel 15, 22. Now I know it's speculation to say what would have happened and certainly the Lord uses what does happen, Jonah's sacrifice in the water. But I do think it's worth noticing that Jonah does not seem to fully repent, to be willing to go to Nineveh, to obey the Lord's command until after he is swallowed by the great fish. So getting back to the story, the sailors are understandably very hesitant to implement the solution that Jonah has suggested to throw him into the sea. They don't want blood on their hands, even if this would solve their problem, if it would save their lives. They do everything possible, rowing as hard as they can to get back to dry land. The Hebrew language here, it's descriptive. They row, they dig hard into the waves. But it's impossible, and we're told a second time that the Lord makes the sea grow more and more tempestuous against them. And so seeing no other option, they pray to the Lord, to the one true God that Jonah has introduced them to. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. And here we see a very respectful prayer. They believe that Jonah has committed a sin against the Lord that merits death, and so they ask him not to hold them accountable for shedding his blood. They're giving him the due penalty for his crimes against the Lord. Furthermore, they acknowledge the Lord's omnipotence. Ultimately, Lord, you are the one in control, the one who has brought about the storm. You have arranged all these things according to your good pleasure, and so we are simply seeking to hand him over to your justice. And then we see verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. There's an intentional verbal parallel here. Just as the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, now the sailors hurled Jonah into the sea. And the Lord responds by quieting the storm. Now, certainly this demonstrates the Lord's absolute sovereignty over the forces of nature, but even more so, we see the parallel. That the raging of the storm was an expression of the Lord's anger against Jonah. And so once Jonah gives himself into the Lord's hands, his wrath is satisfied. The, the storm ceases, the sea ceases from its raging. Now how do the sailors respond to their deliverance? Verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Their lives had been rescued. And the transformation in these men is extraordinary. And we see it in three descriptions here. Three descriptions which you would normally expect to see used to describe a faithful Israelite. 
First, they're described as fearing the Lord and fearing the Lord exceedingly. Literally, they feared him with a great fear. And this phrasing, it's, it's actually unique in the Hebrew Bible. No one else is described as fearing the Lord with a great fear in this way. And think of how this was a transformation. What was before terror, panic, fear for their lives, a fear of the storm settles now into a right, reverent fear of the one who is greater than the storm, the one who controlled the storm, a fear of the Lord. We saw earlier in this passage how Jonah said he feared the Lord, but this was lip service. He used the language even as he disobeyed and ran from the Lord. He honored the Lord with his lips while his heart was far from him. These these men we see have a right fear of the Lord. And then the next two elements, they go together. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. These are common elements found in Israel's worship. Here they stand together as a sign that these men have abandoned their foreign gods and they have dedicated themselves to the true worship of the Lord, the one true God who made the heavens and the earth. Now, if you remember, they've already thrown away all their cargo. They probably have almost no food remaining, almost no worldly goods or wealth remaining to their names. And yet, they give what little they have to make an offering to the Lord. It's one thing to fear the Lord in the storm. It's one thing to pray a a foxhole prayer, to make a vow saying, I'll serve you, Lord, when you're in the midst of a crisis. But it's another thing to fear the Lord, to serve him after the storm has passed. As we see here, they make vows to dedicate their future to the Lord. It's in the calm. It's after the storm has passed when you can take stock. It's then that they say, the Lord is the true God. He is the one we will worship and serve. The irony, of course, is that this transformation is a result of Jonah's rebellion. His refusal to bring the message of God's judgment and judgment to the people of Nineveh. But in his effort to escape from being a prophet to bring salvation to Nineveh, he unwillingly brings the Lord's salvation to these pagan sailors. Even deep in our irony is that by the time these sailors dedicate themselves to the Lord, Jonah has been cast off. He's unaware of the worship service that's broken out on deck after his departure. You might puzzle over the question how the book later comes to be written, but it must be that Jonah and one of the sailors later has a reunion. That would also be evidence that this was a lasting conversion. And all this, Jonah becomes a picture pointing forward to the coming of a greater sacrifice, a greater savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will later speak of Jonah saying, someone, something greater than Jonah is here. And we read earlier the story of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. It contains many similarities to this account in Jonah. When that violent storm came down, Jesus, like Jonah, was sleeping in the ship. But he was sleeping not in sorrow or escape, but in the perfect peace of one who was in obedient submission to his heavenly Father. It was the sleep of perfect trust and safety. Then when his disciples came and they woke him, he is the one who rebukes the wind and the waves, demonstrating his sovereign power over creation. 
And this time, the sailors, they have a similar response in that they respond in fear. This time, they fear the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is this one who has the power to still the wind and the waves? But this story is a prelude to the second way that Jonah is a picture pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, pointing forward to his great sacrifice. Now, Jonah, in his sacrifice, he goes overboard. He's willing to die to save others, to turn aside God's anger, his fury in the storm. But there, for Jonah, it's God's anger at Jonah. For Jonah's sin, Jonah goes overboard for his own sin. But when Jesus goes to the cross, he goes to the cross to bear God's wrath for the sins of others, for all those who trust in him. Verse Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We also see how Jonah, he goes in with mixed motives. He's basically forced into it. He'd rather die than obey the Lord. And then he doesn't actually die. He only comes near death. That Jesus, we're told, he goes to the cross for the joy set before him in perfect submission to his Father's will. As he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 11. Jonah, by his sacrifice, he saves a boat full of sailors. But Jesus goes to the cross to save millions to save all his chosen people through his perfect sacrifice. Now, there are differences. But Jonah truly does point forward to Christ. But Christ is far greater. And in the end, Jonah's sacrifice is only accept- effective for these sailors because he's pointing forward to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Even their offering that they make later on, it is Effective. Their offering is pointing forward to the perfect and final offering that Christ will later make on their behalf. The same is true for you, for all of us today. There is only one way to be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ. And so as we think of all that we've seen today, I want you to consider how the Lord is pursuing you through the circumstances in your life, Perhaps he is sending you severe mercies to show you your sin, to show you how you are running from him, that you cannot hide. If everything is blowing up in your life, to show you that you are going down the wrong way, going down the pathway to destruction. It's time to turn around. It's time to repent. It's time to return to your God. There is mercy and grace to be found in Jesus Christ. He is the one who gave his life on the cross, the perfect and final sacrifice for all who repent and trust in him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you do not leave yourself without a witness, but... You show us our desperate need for a Savior. And we pray that in your mercy, 
you would pursue after us, that you would reveal our sin, that you would find us out, that you would bring us back to yourself and make us always thankful even for the severe mercies that you place into our lives to discipline us, to keep us from going astray, to keep us on that narrow path that leads to life. For you, our Father, are the God of steadfast love and never-ending faithfulness. And so we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.